Ruth chapter number 2. So, in the days of the judges, when every man did what was right in his own eyes, life was very hard for a lot of people, especially the covenant people of God broke God's law and broke God's covenant and went after false gods. Well, that's what happened in our story. God had brought a curse on the land because there was a famine. And that's what the Bible tells us would happen when they would uh, break his covenant. There was drought and famine. The other curses you find in the book of Judges and throughout were invasions and domination by the Gentile people of God and told them to get out of the land to start with. Well, the story starts with a famine. And Elimelech took his wife Naomi and his boys to Moab to beat the famine. But he dies in Moab. The boys get married. They find two Moabite girls. They get married, but then the boys die. So now in chapter 1, all you have left in Moab was Naomi, the Israelite, with her two Moabitess daughter-in-laws. Well, God was gracious, and after over a decade of living there, the land started producing again. So we can assume that there was repentance in the land. God blesses the people there with, with uh, harvest. Naomi hears that there's food back home again. She's got nothing left in Moab. So she's going home. And she tells her daughter-in-laws, I'm going back to Judah. There's nothing for you there. Go back and find some rest in a husband. Go get married. Find you a good uh, husband. Go back to your mom. Go back to your family. Get married. Have a good life. May the Lord bless you. Well, one of the girls decides that's a good idea and she goes back to Moab. But Ruth says she just refuses. Ruth is committed to Jehovah and has put her lot in with God's people. Husband or no, she's going to go back and she's going to spend the rest of her life, even after Naomi dies, it doesn't matter, She's going to spend her rest of her life with the people of God and with Israel. And she'll live and she'll die as a servant of Israel's God. She's not going back to Moab. She has nothing there for her. So they go back. Well, when they make it back home, it's harvest time. And according to the law of God, the poor could go and glean in the fields and pick up what the reapers had passed over. So a reaper goes to the field. They pick a lot of, of grain, uh, but they, they miss some here and there. Well... Uh, the poor could go behind them and get it. They also left the corners. The corners were left alone so they could go through and reap. That was God's way of taking care of the poor people. Well, Ruth wakes up one morning and says, we just got back to, to the area, but we got to eat. Naomi, I'm going to go glean. And so she goes and gleans. In all the fields and all the towns and all the world, she walks into Boaz's field. Boaz was a wealthy, mighty man, very powerful, got a lot of money, a big guy in the land. And she just, by hap, it says, by chance, we know it was God's providence, but by chance she ends up there. Well, it turns out Boaz was no stranger to Elimelech. They knew each other. They're related to one another. They were in the same tribe, but also in the same family. So Boaz comes to the field and he's looking around and, and he notices someone there that wasn't there the day before and they said, whose girl is this? Who, who, who's this lady belong to? 
And the servant, his servant, his foreman says, well, this is Ruth the Moabite. She came back with Naomi and she's been here all day. And so um, he goes and Boaz tells Ruth, and uh, he said, what I, what I want you to do is stay here. In verse number seven, uh, where Ruth uh, asks, or Ruth says, let me stay here. Boaz says, hearest thou not, my daughter, go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thy eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go after that which them that I have not charged you, the young men, that they shall not touch thee. And when thou art thirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. So he says, don't you go anywhere. You stay here in this field. You stay with my people. You're going to spend harvest right here. You don't have to go looking for a field tomorrow. You stay right here. You're under my protection. My men won't hurt you. And I want you to just work right alongside the women that are working here in this field. I don't want you to act like a foreigner. I want you to, to act like one of my one of my people. My men go and draw water for the workers. And whenever you're thirsty, you just go over and get your drink of water just like everybody else does. Um, you're, you're under my protection. And I want you to, to stay here and not be ashamed about it and not go looking for other places um, like all the other people would have to do. Um, if you're going to glean, you might glean from one field today and another field tomorrow. He says, you show up here tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. You just stay right here with my people. Well, Ruth can hardly believe it. And she falls on her face in gratitude. In verse number 10, it says, Why have I found grace in thy eyes that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Well, Boaz said, it's the Lord paying you back. It's the Lord recompensing you. Or the Lord, it's the Lord that's blessing you. The Lord is the one that's blessing you here. Not me. And then in verse 13, it says, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me. And for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thy handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thy handmaidens. And so now she has found grace. And what I'm going to preach on today is the rest of this chapter where we find grace and mercy in this story. And we also find a redeemer for Ruth. There's grace and mercy in Boaz showing such favor to an undeserving foreigner. It was grace that Boaz bestows upon her and, and Ruth just can't hardly believe it. How anybody could treat her with such kindness and compassion. But then we see in the providence of God that it wasn't just anybody that she showed up to. But she showed up to one who could redeem her. One who could provide for her. And then she was brought to one who could save her. So let's look at the grace and mercy here. So in verse 13 she said, Let me find favor in thy sight. You've comforted me. You spoke friendly to thy handmaid. Though I be not like one of your handmaids. Boaz said that this blessing in the previous verse this blessing was God's blessing. And Boaz said, well, I heard about what you did. I heard how you left Moab with Naomi. 
I heard how you stick by her side and how you won't forsake her. I've heard how you won't go back to the Moabite gods. I've heard how you wanted to cast your lot with the people of Israel and worship the God of Israel. I've heard these things. And now, this is not me giving you something. This is the Lord blessing you. You have shown faith, and, and God is providing for you. So Boaz isn't, I don't believe Boaz is saying God is, is paying you back in the sense that you do good, then good will return. I think Boaz is saying you have come to Jehovah the covenant-keeping God. And God is the God that keeps His promises. God promised famine if they went after false gods. How's the story start? It's famine. God promises blessing back upon the covenant people when they repent and return. And what they have now, they have blessing. Ruth the Moabitess has forsaken all to come and cast her lot in with the people of God to worship Jehovah. And now the Lord God is keeping his promises and blessing those who come to him by faith. He says, you have come to Israel and you have found comfort. You have found rest. You are now under his wings. You have come by faith to the God of Israel. And the God of Israel has has received you and is providing for you. Don't think it's strange, Ruth, that you are being blessed because it is God who's blessing you. Our God is great. Our God is merciful. Jehovah has, has blessed you. And now you have come and trusted in him. And now he cares for his own. So Boaz sees Ruth as a believer. Even though she's a Moabitess, he sees her as one who trusts in the same, in his God. But whenever Ruth hears that, she says, let me find favor. Even though I'm not like one of your handmaids, you've treated me like one. Ruth didn't see it as a payment because it was undeserved. Ruth saw it for grace. She knows that she's a foreigner. She looks at the other handmaidens and they don't look the same. One, you know, these are Jewish women and she's a Moabitess. They're, 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 they're different. She's a foreigner. I'm not like your handmaidens. I don't have anybody here. I don't have um, a family name here. And I'm not, I'm not like them, but you have have shown me mercy. You have gone over and beyond what was required of you. She found grace and mercy. And so she, she bows down. You've comforted me. You've protected me. You spoke kindly to me. You've given me what I don't deserve. Ruth didn't say, well, you ought to treat me like this. I, I, I'm a stranger. You ought to do that. You know, she says, I don't deserve any of this. Whenever we do what God tells us to do, we're just doing what is right. That's all we're doing. We love God and we love our neighbor, which is the sum and the substance of the law. But we don't deserve God's favor. We don't deserve God's blessing. But God is gracious to us and he does bless us. I mean, look around this morning and see um, families and see young ones and see um, we've got all measure of health to be here, 
We've got houses to go to whenever we're done. We've got food, uh, food to eat this afternoon. God is good to us. God has blessed us beyond measure. And we don't deserve that. But God not only has saved us, but provides for us and, and blesses us in this life. And then we got eternal life waiting, or we have eternal life now and that inheritance waiting for us. Oh, God is good to us. But it's not a, a repayment. We don't deserve the least of his favors, but God is so gracious to us and loves us and bestows these favors upon us. Uh, we can't help but to say, see God's grace in our life. And so Ruth receives grace in these blessings from God. And Boaz is right, that it was God that has given her these, these blessings. So Boaz is pointing Ruth back to the Lord and saying, well, I may give it to you, but it's God that's blessing you. Then we have grace and fellowship in verse number 14. And Boaz said unto her at mealtime, Come thou hither and eat of the bread and dip thy morsel in vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers and he reached her parched corn and she did eat and was sufficed and left. And she was risen up to glean. Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and reproach her not. And let her fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her and leave them that she might glean them and rebuke her not. And he said, okay, whenever, whenever it's lunchtime, I want you to come up here with us. Don't go off in the corner by yourself. Uh, don't stay out in the field and eat. You probably don't have anything to eat anyway. You don't worry about that. Lunchtime, you come up and eat with me. And we'll have a little picnic here. And you eat with us. And, and I'm going to give you some bread, some wine. And you're going to eat with us. And you're going to fellowship with us. And you're going to eat until you're, you're satisfied. Come and fellowship. You're going to act. You're going to be one of us. Now, back in Leviticus 25, we saw that this morning that, that God told the people of Israel, even if you had slaves, you were to treat them with, with respect. You are to treat them kindly. You are to love your neighbor and so Boaz is showing grace, and he's, he's, he's not treating her with ill will. He's not treating her harshly. But he is a godly man who is abiding by godly principles of, of loving her neighbor and loving the stranger. Now, the stranger, there were different laws, right? So they, they, were, they were treated differently. But, but now Boaz is going to treat her as a, fe as a fellow uh, believer. And he says, you come at mealtime, you come and eat of the bread and of the wine. You come and fellowship with us. You come and join us. Not as a stranger, not as an outsider, but as a friend. I don't think this pictures uh, the Lord's Supper, but I did think of that when it talked about the bread and the morsel and vinegar. I did think of that, how we come and dine when we take the Lord's Supper. That we, we sit at God's Supper. 
the Lord's Supper. Not my supper, not the church's supper. It's the Lord's Supper. And we come and sit, we come to his table in his house and we commune with him. And the Lord's Supper is not a reward for good people. And it's not reserved for people who have done good. But it's a reminder that Christ has done all for us. And we remember what he did for, for us and, and the cost of our redemption. And so it's, it's not repayment or it's not a way to gain favor, but it is a grace and a mercy that the Lord says, come and eat with me. Come to my table. Come and eat this bread and remember what I gave you as I laid down my life, my body for you. Come and drink of the wine that reminds you of the blood that was shed. Ruth was not deserving to come eat with Boaz in the sense that it was owed to her. And as a Moabite, what do you think the Pharisees would have done in this situation? Think about what Peter would have done in this situation. Peter, even after, Peter went to a, a church where they were eating, and Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. You find in the book of Galatians. The Paul had to call him out on that. He, he said, you're laying down laws that you can't even keep, and our fathers couldn't keep. Well, here is Boaz saying, Ruth, Moabitess, you come and eat with us. You come and feast with us because you have come to trust in Jehovah. This is a mercy and grace that's being bestowed upon her. Not as a stranger, as an outsider, but as a friend. And so you, so us Gentiles here this morning, we have been, uh, we're not on the outside. We're not, uh, we don't have to stand outside the gate. But Christ has broken down that wall of partition that, that we may boldly come before the throne of God because Christ has made the way for us. Well, there's grace there and there's abundant grace. It says that she ate until she is full. He gave her food until she had all that she could desire and left what was there. And so it was abundant. And so she thanks him and gets up and goes back to work. Boaz, as she was leaving, or after she left, she talked, he talked to his workers and said, just let her glean among the sheaves. Don't, don't get after her. Just let her go and don't make her stand on the side till you guys are done. Just let her get in there right there with you all and, and let her glean. And then every once in a while, just uh, drop a little bit here and there so she can, uh, she can have some, a little bit of extra. So, you know, if you're going along and, and maybe every once in a while, skip a little section and just go on. And then after you, after you cut some, you know, just drop a little bit and uh, just get, be a little bit careless around Ruth so she can have a little bit extra. And so Boaz, uh, Boaz is playing it kind of slow, I guess, here. He's, he's saying, you know, we're going to just bless her, but we're going to bless her secretly here. 
we're going we're gonna to make sure that she has some, but I'm just not going to be uh, in your face about it. We're gonna, I'm going to take each thing slow. And so he's blessing her uh, uh, more than she desires. Here's what the law says in Deuteronomy 24, 19. It says, When thou cuttest down thy harvest in thy field and hast forgot the sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thy hands. So the law says, if you miss something, just leave it. Don't go back and get it. Well, Boaz is saying, hey, guys, leave her some stuff on purpose. Don't pick all the field. Let her have more than she would have had if she had gone anywhere else. So this is going to cost Boaz something. Boaz is losing money on the deal. Normally, it's just the regular stuff that she's going to miss. So if you had somebody that was all about making money and all about getting every little bit that they could, they're still going to miss some every once in a while. It's, there's still going to be stuff to glean. But Boaz is now saying, let's just give her some of our food. He's losing money. It's costing him. But this is one of Boaz's kindness. Because he is following what God had told them to do in Leviticus 25, and that is to, to provide and to be gracious and to love their, one another. He, he is holding to the principle that this is not his land to start with. It is God's land. And it's not his food to start with. It's the food that God has given. And so Boaz, as a man, a godly man, says, I have freely received from the hand of the Lord, and I'm going to freely give. Now, Boaz, his, his heart's captivated by Ruth, and he no doubt doesn't do this for everybody because he doesn't do it for everybody in this story. But we do see his graciousness towards her. His heart has been captured by Ruth, and we can probably surmise from other parts of this that he's a little bit older than she is. And he probably thinking, well, she'd never want anything to do with me anyway. But he is showing her such grace and mercy by providing for her. Well, in verse number 17, it says, so she gleaned in the field until even. And she beat out that she had gleaned and it was an ephah of barley. And she took it up, and she went to the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned and brought forth and gave it to her as she had reserved. And she was a suffice. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where thou gleaned today? Where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, the man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. So Ruth works the rest of the day, and she really came out on top this day because she comes home with anywhere from 30 to 50 pounds worth of grain. And that's after, um, that's after she had beaten, that, beaten it out, right? So 30 to 50 pounds of grain, that's a lot of, a lot of grain for one day. And she comes home, 
and Naomi's shocked. Maybe she expected they might have enough for supper, maybe a little bit for breakfast. But she comes home with a bushel full of grain. Naomi, where in the world have you been? Where, what field did you go to that you, that you got this much? She's shocked. Never would have suspected. And Ruth says, well, I went and uh, I went to this guy's field. His name was uh, Boaz. Well, this shocked Naomi more than uh, how much she brought home. Through verse 20, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off the kindness of the living and the dead. So she says this, and Ruth might have been scratching her head, saying, well, yes, blessed be the name of the Lord. But, but what's that mean? That he hasn't left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. So now Ruth is a little bit confused and puzzled. Well, what do you mean by that? Because as soon as Naomi heard that name, Boaz, well, the wheels just started turning in Naomi's mind. Naomi said unto her, The man is of near kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. Naomi says, I know who Boaz is. In fact, he's related to Limelech. He's our next kinsman. Now for the Israelite, when they heard this, the wheels start turning in their minds. Because this would be like if you was watching a movie and there's a man and a woman and you're watching that movie and you say, I think that man and that woman ought to get together. I wish they would, but there's no way that they're, they're too far apart. They're worlds apart. They never get together. Well, then there's a matchmaker and that matchmaker sees an opportunity to bring the man and woman together and the wheels start turning and you say, oh, I see what's going to happen now. This matchmaker is going to bring these two people together. Well, well as soon as Naomi hears that he's a near kinsman, you know, Things start clicking. She's a next kin. But the Israelite, when they read this, they understand what's happening too. See, it's more than he was just related to Elimelech. This was a position in Israel that God had given the kinsmen certain responsibilities. So he had responsibilities to the land and to the inheritance. So he was the redeemers of, of the land to make sure that the land stayed with the family. So Leviticus 25, if a close relative lost their land, God said it's the redeemer has a, a responsibility and the ability to buy that inheritance back for the people. Even in to redeem them of slaves. So if they sold themselves into slavery, they could go and buy them out of slavery. He also had legal responsibilities, so um, we won't turn there, but Numbers 35, if, um, you know, if they didn't have police and so forth, so if somebody uh, killed your cousin, well, the Redeemer had the job of going to make sure justice was done. He would be the avenger of blood. He had the responsibility to assist in the lawsuit and uh, just to protect the family. You find that in different places um, 
in the, the Old Testament scriptures. So the kinsman was, was somebody that everybody hoped was a guy that could take care of you. Because if you lost your property, your only hope would be that you would have a kinsman that could help you. So, it's, you know, he's, he's the rich uncle of the Old Testament. And the rich uncle had some power. He had some pull. He had some abilities to pull some strings. The law was with him and said, if you lost this, the law would let your kinsman get you out of that spot. So, Ruth just happens to go to the one place in the world where God's blessing is, and that's the land of Israel. And Ruth just happens to marry someone in the tribe of Judah. Of all the people in the world, somebody from the tribe of Judah goes and marries her, but then he dies. And then she ends up in Judah. And then she ends up going to glean randomly, uh, looking at her perspective, into a field owned by a rich and wealthy and mighty man. And for whatever reason, this rich, wealthy, mighty man took a liking to her and blessed her. And she comes back home and Naomi says, he's not just some ordinary man. He is the kinsman. He is our kinsman. He is somebody that can restore the land to, to, to those of the kin. He is somebody that can redeem. Why? Because where's Naomi's land? It was lost whenever Elimelech left. There was hope here. There was hope for Naomi because here's somebody that can get her out of the situation. But notice, she says, this man is near kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. Naomi is including Ruth in the family. Naomi now sees a hope and a possibility of rescue. And from this point on in the story, her whole demeanor changes. The whole tone of everything that she says, because up to this point, chapter one, Ruth is a, or Naomi is a bitter woman. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mark. Call me bitter, because I, I left full and came back empty. Well, now she hears that she's got a redeemer. Now she hears that there is one who has provided graciously. And she says, now there's hope. She had, her demeanor changed because she has hope. Boaz is now the possibility of her, her redeemer. And now in her mind, everything there's hope because everything could turn around. And it wasn't because Boaz was a redeemer. No, she said, this man is near kin unto us. One of our next kinsmen. That's why she said, Blessed be he, the Lord, who hath not left his kindness to the living and to the dead. There's going to be kindness to them, but also kindness to the family of Elimelech, because there's a redeemer, there's one that can restore that which was lost. But it's not the fact that Boaz is a, was a redeemer. What good does it do you this morning that Boaz was a redeemer? Well, it doesn't do you any good, first of all, because Boaz is dead, and second of all, you're not related to him. 
What good is it to you that somebody else has a rich uncle? Doesn't do you any good if you don't have a rich uncle, right? Uh, that the only way that this is a good news for Naomi is that Boaz was their redeemer, was their kinsman. It's a fact that Boaz is wealthy. It's a fact that Boaz is good. It's a fact that Boaz is generous. It's a fact that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. All these things are true, but none of those things are good news unless Boaz was their kinsman. Naomi knew the law of the kinsman redeemer, and she knew that that was, that was a possibility, but why was she bitter? Because she didn't have one. Knowing these facts are only good news if they belong to you. But Naomi says, here's our redeemer. Here is our kinsman. Here is one that is good and is wealthy and is generous. And he is our redeemer. That's why she had hope. Not in the fact of a redeemer, but that she had one. And I've, this is a good illustration of what faith is. Jesus is God's son. That's a fact. Jesus is the king of kings. That is a fact. Jesus owns the cattle in a thousand years, or a thousand hills. That's a fact. Jesus provides. Jesus saves. Jesus redeems. Jesus is good. Jesus is generous. Jesus is compassionate. But what's that to you if he is not your Savior? If you don't belong to him and, and he is not your Savior, those are just facts. They're, they're true. They're 100% true. But it's good news to us who say he is my Savior. He is my King. He is my Redeemer. He is my Savior. He is generous to me. He is good to me. He blesses me. He comforts me. He's compassionate to me. So faith first knows these things about Jesus. And I hope you know those things about Jesus because all those things are true. But that is not saving faith. That is just believing the facts of the story. Faith believes these things about Jesus. But then faith trusts these things are true for you. So you know the facts and you believe those facts are true. But that third aspect of faith is resting in those promises are true for you. Naomi believed in the concept of the kinsman redeemer. Naomi believed all those facts about Boaz. But the reason that she has joy and blesses God is because he is our kinsman. And so saving faith is knowing that Jesus is a Savior, believing He's a Savior, and trusting that He is your Savior, that He is your Redeemer. And rest that you are saved because your Savior has saved you and redeemed you. Naomi has hope because Boaz is their kinsman. In verse 21 it says, Ruth the Moabite said, He has said unto me also that thou shalt keep fast my young men until they have all uh, ended my harvest. So the, the storyteller t reminds us that Ruth was a Moabitess. Naomi's getting all 
exciting. He says, our kinsmen. But then the, the Lord says, remember though, Ruth is a Moabitess. Not an Israelite. But then Ruth says, well, he told me to stay by his young men. Yes, she's a Moabitess, but remember how he treated her? Come with my people. Drink when you're thirsty. Eat my bread. Be full. Be satisfied. You're, he treated her as one of them. Naomi sees Ruth as part of the family. Now Boaz sees Ruth as part of the family. So now Ruth realizes, wait a second. He told me not just to go and, and glean with the other poor people, but he told me to stick fast by his young men till the harvest was over. He wants me there with him and has treated me like one of his own. Then Naomi says, it is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they might meet thee not in any other field. He said, listen, Ruth, don't go out there with those young men. You, you go out with the, the ladies. You stay with the other young maidens. You stick by Boaz. Don't let Boaz see you out there talking to these other, other men. You stick with the young ladies. And he said, you need to, you need to play this right, Ruth. And, and uh, so she's, she's kind of guiding her because she can see this. Here's someone's treating her kindly. Here's someone that's a kinsman. Here's somebody that could go and marry her according to the law, which we'll get to later. But, but she says, you just stick with him. Verse 23, so she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest and dwell with her mother-in-law. So Ruth obeyed. And so verse 22 is the end of the day. That's the end of the conversation. And so there's a couple, probably two months go by from verse 22 to verse 23. Because um, the barley harvest came and then the wheat harvest came right on top of it. And then that was the end of it. So there's about a month of each. That's the way it was. Uh, the tobacco harvest came and then you know, the tobacco and harvest and the apple harvest was right on top of each other. So we'd have people come and you know, they'd pick tobacco for a while and they'd pick apples for a while and they'd have two harvests right on top of each other. Well, that's what happened in Israel. So you got about two months here of time. And verse 23 is kind of a letdown in the story, really, because you get all excited. You think, well, they're going to get married. They're going to... Everything's going to turn out. But now we've got two months of time and the harvest is over and Ruth is still living with her mother-in-law. She hasn't found the rest that Naomi wanted her in having a husband. Now she found the rest in the Almighty under the shadow of his wings. Boaz testified to that. But there's still that tension there with Ruth dwelling with Naomi. Um, Hubbard said that here you have two widows who are back right back where they started in, in the beginning of the chapter. They're sitting at home waiting for something to happen. Chapter 1 ended happily. Chapter 2 ends quietly, almost with a thud. 
The threatening cloud of the family going extinct still hung over Naomi. What if old age takes its toll tomorrow? Despite Boaz's welcome, the narrative reminds us that Ruth was still a Moabitess, not an Israelite. The unanswered question was, had Ruth truly come home? So the story is at an impasse until someone's boldness will get the story moving again. So we're, we're hopeful they're going to get married and all that. Well, nothing happens. Ruth just goes to work every day. Boaz blesses her every day. It goes on for two months. Now the harvest is over. But God is in control of this story. God is sovereign. God is going to provide for Ruth. That it wasn't just happenstance. It might not have happened as quick as we wanted. And I'm sure it didn't happen as quick as Naomi wanted. But it's happening all according to God's time. And as we look at Ruth here, we see nothing but God's blessing and provision. And we can see ourselves in the story of Ruth. Gentiles, sinners, who've been saved and provided for and kept in God's providence, loved by our Lord, blessed, adopted and brought into the family of God. So we see in Ruth in chapter 2, in the first half, you see the providence of God in bringing her here. And now we see the grace and the mercy of God in providing for her while she's here and blessing her. And now there's hope. Her only hope is in this Redeemer. And so we, we leave chapter 2 sort of in a to-be-continued cliffhanger. What's going to happen? Will the Redeemer buy her and purchase her? Will the Redeemer save her? Lord willing, we'll take a look at that in the week's time.